0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at LabBrooks.com 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.
2: This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport as we look back on the weekend's Premier League action with me, Sam Matterface, Trevor Sinclair, the former England winger, and TalkSport's Alex Crook. Coming up, top four, the race for the Champions League places sexed up by Hammers bringing the heat and Leicester's dancing feet and Everton finding their Mersey beat. Klopp irritated, Mourinho mad as both Spurs and Liverpool have a fight on their hands to arrest serious slumps and Thomas Tuchel hits a few bumps. Plus, Parker to the rescue and the rest of the weekend's action and a look ahead to Monday and Tuesday's vital games between teams with absolutely nothing to play for. Or have they? All that and more on the podcast that would certainly run away down the tunnel the minute we realise we wound up big dunk. The Game Day podcast from TalkSport. This is game day. Hello, and welcome to Trevor Sinclair. How are you?
3: I'm very well, Sam. How are you?
2: Very good. I, I think you've got the look of Thierry Henry of you tonight. I must admit, yeah, looking absolutely. very sort. Of, oh yeah, I'll, well take, right. that.
3: I'll yeah? take that. I'll take that. Are you popping up at Bournemouth anytime soon? Um, unfortunately, um, I didn't get the um, request. To turn up there, I, I was I was turned down.
2: Oh right, okay, down. okay. So, but did Bournemouth turn down uh, Terry O'Reilly or was it the other way around, Alex Crook?
3: I think uh-huh. the latter. <laughs>
4: yeah, <laughs> I think Trevor might just be right. It's nice to see you two, by the way, because is, this time yeah. last week, Valentine's night, yeah. I ended up spending Valentine's night with Danny Mills and Darren Ambrose. <laughs> <laughs> Not great bedfellows.
2: Oh dear. Ah, right. Okay. Well, has everyone had a good week? Where were you yesterday? <clears throat> what game were you at? What game or what game were you commentating on this week? You did West Ham, didn't you? I did uh yeah did uh, West Ham Tottenham really enjoyed it
4: I thought it was an excellent derby and um, West Ham obviously the better team in the first half I thought Tottenham were great in the second half probably better in an attacking force than we've seen mm. for some time but ultimately West Ham newfound character the new West Ham way found a way to win and they're not
2: going away are they uh, we'll get to them in just a second um we will also talk about Manchester City because Trevor is dying to to speak about them, I'm well, sure. I thought you might
3: have asked me what I was doing Sorry, yesterday. what were you
2: doing yesterday? Oh,
3: thank you, Sam. I actually, you know what? I had a rare Saturday off. Oh, did you? And I had a nice lie-in. Started listening to uh, Game Day on, on Talk Sport and I was blown away. I thought it was an absolutely superb show. Great production. Fantastic little um, bits that went on that were pre-recorded. And the game itself, I, I didn't bother listening to that, but the actual build-up, I just thought it was superb. Brilliant.
0: I'm
2: pleased that we've done you uh, a a good service there. Um, And you're on it. it. I take it you're on it with me next week when we do Manchester City versus West Ham because that's the perfect game for you. So please tell me you're coming.
3: I I would be offended if I wasn't asked to do that game. Yes, Uh, I'm on it, Sam.
2: Okay, so that's next Saturday. Let's look back at this Saturday. behind Richarlison he's played him in on the edge of the year and he's one on one with the goalkeeper and he steered it past Alisson and after 2 minutes and 26 seconds Richarlison has opened the scoring at the Kop end and Everton leading the Merseyside derby and Richarlison has scored in another game at Anfield and it's Liverpool nil, Everton 1 comes back on the edge of oh, the area and Henderson what sends it shame. to the far corner and it's tipped round the post by Jordan Pickford oh, goes into the box looking oh, for Seamus Coleman oh, with a flying great. header down to his left Heff and brilliant save from Alisson to keep it at 1-0 decent cross to Mane again oh. with a header and it's over the top of the crossbar from Sadio Mane peeling off the back of Ben Godfrey and getting a header which went over the top of the crossbar They're getting closer Liverpool Salah goes past the defender shoots at the goalkeeper picks makes a brilliant save at point blank range use of the body by Richarlison and he sprinted away from Phillips and Calvert-Lewin is going through the centre it's played into him on the edge of the box past the goalkeeper yeah. now oh foul. Foul. back to him was he Def- Penalty. 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 Ilfi Sigurdsson, he's scored four goals at Anfield previously. Steps up, right footed, slots it in. And this might just be the moment that Everton end their Merseyside derby misery. The Everton players embrace, they jump over one another in celebration. Duncan Ferguson looks as if he's about to burst into tears. Evertonians all over Merseyside probably are, because it's finished Liverpool nil. Everton 2. Liverpool nil, Everton two. Who would have thunk it? Everton win at Anfield for the first time since September 1999. It ended Everton's run of 23 visits to Anfield. Um, What, without a a win in all competitions against Liverpool, what a fantastic moment for Carlo Ancelotti. Um, I think, first of all, we'll talk about him because his tactical mastery, I think he's my favourite manager of all time. His, His ability to get the best out of his his squad and his ability to adapt to nullify Liverpool's threats, I thought was really impressive, Trevor.
3: Yeah, I I think his man management is second to none. Um, The way he comes across in the media, um, he doesn't get any... I don't think he's got many enemies because he's a class act. And I think when you've that kind of personality, players want to play for you because they see that you're not desperate. It's not a win-at-all-cost situation. Any situation is not a win-at-all-cost. He always keeps a bit of class about him and... I actually think Everton didn't play as well as I've seen them play recently. I just thought it was a really poor showing from Liverpool, but I was pleased for Carlo and, and the team. Obviously, it's been a long time, 1999. I thought the, the first goal in particular was really well taken by Richelson. and I just thought it was a decent performance from Everton, but no more. You know, I know it's broken a lot of records, but I just thought Liverpool were awful. I thought they, were, they didn't have the spirit. Um, I thought defensively, they looked very vulnerable. And um yeah I just thought it was a, a well-earned win and I was I was really pleased with Tom Davies he had something to do with one of the goals and his performances I've been um giving him a lot of credit recently for his performance especially the the Tottenham game in the cup I thought he was excellent man of the match and uh he just seems to be growing into a role where with Allen injured he's got an opportunity to play that holding holding midfielder and I think he's uh, he's thriving under Carlo
2: I think the key thing for me with Ancelotti's sort of tactical prowess, was that he lined up in a formation which was there to stop Andrew Robertson, which is the main source of action, to put pressure on Trent Alexander-Arnold. And he knew he needed someone with a bit of creativity in the team, like James Rodriguez, but he thought, I can't really give him much to do, because if I do that, I'm going to leave myself open. So he can play in that little free role in the number 10 position and we'll just play with Richarlison up front. That way, we've got two banks of four, we can be sturdy and then if we get a chance on the breakaway, he's likely to make the most of it. And that happened within two minutes and 30 seconds, which was great. But you talked about Liverpool. They've lost four league games in a row at home for the first time since 1923. Where on earth is the Oregon crook?
4: Well, he's faded pretty rapidly, isn't it? And it it does beg the question, I understand you were debating it during the commentary, is this the worst defence of a Premier League title in history? Obviously, in terms of points, it isn't, because Blackburn were woeful the year after they won the title. So were Leicester. Mm. But I think in terms of a a team falling away, a a team that we all felt were imperious and and were being talked about in some quarters as the best the Premier League has ever seen. That was nonsense, by the way. It was far too early, but I don't think any of us...
3: I concur with that. (laughs)
4: I don't think, we all know the best team in Premier League history was 1999, the Manchester United team. Um, But I don't think that anybody could have foreseen such a dramatic collapse. But there are warning signs. Um, The the lack of investment. And if you look at Manchester City, clearly they had defensive problems. So Pep Guardiola was allowed to go out and spend hundreds of millions of pounds on his defence. This time a year ago, Manchester United were fearful they wouldn't make... The, the top four. So they signed Bruno Fernandes for big money. Um, Chelsea spent £250 million near enough to make sure that they were in the mix of the top four this season. Liverpool's owners didn't do enough in the summer. They were always going to be defensively vulnerable because they let um, Dejan Lovren yeah. go. So that was obvious if, if they got an injury in that area, that would be a problem for them. And even in this window, Manchester City, Manchester United and Chelsea don't go out and sign a defender from the worst team in Germany with a dismal defensive record. They don't go out and sign a defender from a lower half championship side. The ownership structure at Liverpool is, is not built to compete with Manchester City and United and Chelsea, who will spend money. Whatever you say about the Glazers, they've still spent money on the team. Um, you can't argue with that.
2: It's the money ball so structure, the- isn't it? It's, it's the it's the idea that they use statistics and and lots of algorithms to identify the best value for money signings that they can. There were never going to be owners that came in and splashed a lot of cash. They are always there to run it as, as as an operating going concern.
4: But with that in mind, I think you have to say that Jurgen Klopp probably overachieved by going toe-to-toe with the juggernaut and the, and the, yeah. the money machine that's, that's that is Manchester fair. City. That's probably fair. To win the league. So, I don't necessarily lay the blame at his door. Although, again, I think if you compare him... Uh, To Pep Guardiola, I think Pep has has realised this season that maybe Manchester City can't play with the intensity that they have in the past because there are too many fixtures, there there are COVID issues as well that they've been affected by. Whereas Jurgen Klopp hasn't really let Liverpool let up and therefore I think it has taken a toll and that's why they've got so many injuries.
2: Okay, so some key questions then. How difficult will it be now for Liverpool to finish in the top four? And can Everton do so? Carlo Ancelotti, when I asked him that last night, said, no, no, no. Had a little laugh and said, no, it's too early for us. Does he really believe that, Trevor? And what do you think about Liverpool's chances of getting into the Champions League next season?
3: Yeah, I think they've got a lot of work to do, Liverpool, uh, to start with. Um, I just feel, one, the confidence is gone. I think, two, it's almost like Manchester United, when Sir Alex left, it was like, they're not as good, they're not invincible. And everyone wants a piece of Liverpool at the moment. I think teams are going there knowing that they've got weaknesses and they're desperate to kind of a little bit of payback uh, for the last couple of years when Liverpool have been outstanding and and leaving bits on all, all, all teams in the Premier League to be quite truthful. And the third thing is, and this is something that I feel has been ongoing and it's not really ever been resolved. I think there's a big problem between the relationship between Mo Salah and Sadio Mane. I really do. I feel Sadio Mane is a team player. That is I feel, interesting. I Honestly, I, I can sense that. Watching it, he's, especially Sadio's body language and he's, and he's, um, the way that he animates things when Mo Salah's been quite selfish, which he is, which stri- strikers often are. But I don't think Sadio Mane is like that. And I think he's such a team player that when he's in a position where he could be selfish, but he, he put it on a plate for Mo Salah, that's not reciprocated. And I feel that's going to be straining that relationship. Now things are not going the right way for Liverpool. And I feel that's something that's never been resolved by Jurgen Klopp. And, and actually, going back to um, what we were talking about earlier about the central defensive issues, Liverpool have known they've had central defensive issues for quite a while now, mm. and before the transfer window closed. And I think it's it, it, it's almost... The, the, the cards are tumbling down now, but it's almost... I think it's a bit of arrogance that they didn't go out and and really invest in a central defender because they still thought, because some of the results straight after the injuries were quite good, they thought they could still get by and definitely make the top four and possibly compete.
2: I don't know whether it's it's arrogance. It's more of a sort of, I I wonder whether or not it's a pragmatism where they sit there and they think, actually, we're not going to win the league this year. So let's not worry about what happens in the next six months. Let's not rush and spend loads of money to patch up the next six months. Let's wait until Virgil van Dijk is back. Let's wait till Joe Gomez is back and then we'll reassemble and we'll go again next year.
3: Yeah, but but while while they're waiting, yeah, exactly. While they're waiting, I feel they feel they can still compete. And I think that's where they've been caught short. I actually feel, maybe it's not arrogance. Arrogance is not the right way, but maybe I thought they thought their players and their squad that they had available could have coped with it and they obviously can't.
4: And, And by the time that Virgil van Dijk is fit, To go back to your question, Sam, they might not be a Champions League club because they might not finish in the top four. Okay, they can still win the Champions League, but it's hard to make much of a case for that at the moment based on what we saw at the weekend. And if they don't finish in the top four, Mohamed Salah has already openly flirted with Real Madrid. Sadio Mane, I'm sure, could, could join a big club in Europe. It's a problem for Liverpool that maybe if they don't make the top four, some of those superstars might just have their heads turned. Can Everton make top four, which is part two of your question? Probably not. I still don't think the squad is is deep enough. I think there will be four better teams than Everton.
0: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides, and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18, plus, be gamble T's and C's apply.
5: This really is a high noon shootout here on Talk Sport, live and exclusive to national radio. And it's West Ham who get the game underway. Wide towards Bowen again. Region has gone down, no free-kick given. Bowen with a dangerous ball into the penalty area. The initial shot is saved, but the rebound is turned in by Mikael Antonio. It was just a wonderful delivery from Jarrod Bowen with his left foot arcing in towards Lloris. It's wide towards Harry Kane, inside the box, right foot shot from him, and it's wide. Cresswell's delivery looking for Dawson, and it was a clean header, and it's turned over the top by Lloris. Joy has found Kane, low shot from him, is beaten away by Fabianski and it scrambled behind for a corner by Diop and that Spurs best moment of a half by some distance Lingard wins it back for West Ham looks to burst into the penalty area supported by four Lingard continues and that's a brilliant goal from Jesse Lingard and West Ham double their lead straight after half time the flag has been raised and this has gone to VAR
2: it's a goal it's been
5: given West Ham 2 Tottenham nil the Hammers heading for the top four bail With the corner, delivered into the penalty area and headed in at the near post by Lucas Moura. Now Kane onto the left foot, low shot from him is inches wide. Harry Kane so close to the equalising goal. Every single move now, they look as if there's going to be a chance for for Tottenham. Back out towards Kane, and now Bale with the oh. shot, oh he's hit the crossbar, what a shot from Gareth Bale, and he was so close to the equalising goal, Kane picks the ball up, finds Son inside the area, and the ball loops to goal, oh. it's hit the inside of a post, somehow West Ham escape, but it's West Ham's day once again, West Ham 2, Tottenham Hotspur 1.
2: Okay, let's uh, turn our attention to the lunchtime kickoff on Sunday. It was live on Talksport. It was also live on Talksport International, uh, where w- the commentator decided to call the goal like this.
4: Here's Jesse Lingard linking up with four nows. Going to be a chance here. Lingard! 2-0 West Ham United! Lingardinho strikes again for David Moyes.
2: <laughs> Lingardinho... Uh, is that something you you had planned or or was that that just off the top of your
4: head absolute spur of the moment i mean (laughs) i've I've seen it i've seen him nicknamed that by west ham fans i've got to say have taken him to their heart and i just felt that the the time was right you know celebrate what a fantastic signing that he's been um full of energy considering he's barely played any football at all this season Water signing from David Moyes, and there were people who doubted it when he went there. They they thought, well, Jesse Lingard is, is washed up. He's he's not motivated anymore. He's proved them wrong. And I, I wanted to pay tribute, and uh, I I thought, given the boss is a West Ham fan, he might just appreciate that. Yeah,
2: I, I'm sure he. I'm sure he did. So it finished West Ham two, Tottenham one. That was the second goal uh, that West Ham scored. I think anybody who who knows the sort of backstory with Jesse Lingard uh, and has followed his career knows he's an incredibly talented boy. And he's had a really rough couple of years. So the fact that he's bounced back, he's at West Ham. He's scored three goals in four league appearances. I think that's really good uh, for him. Um, but and after West Ham scored that second goal, it was a bit tense, wasn't it? But David Moyes' team did their damage in that first half, and I want to to, to credit West Ham in just a moment. But can we talk about can we talk about Spurs? How surprised are we that it is the defence that is their Achilles' heel? Jose Mourinho is famous for prioritising, solidifying a defence. He's been there 18 months now. How has he not been able
3: to do it? Well, I mean, I think you need a lot of investment personally. Um, You look at the two central defenders, uh, Dyer, who's obviously an adopted centre midfielder Trevor Trevor
2: Trevor Trevor he stopped Liverpool winning the league when in charge of Chelsea on the 27th of April 2014 uh, by eking out a clean sheet with Mark Schwarzer, who was 147 in goal (laughs) Thomas Callas who only ever played one game for Chelsea that was it at centre half and uh, and I think Ricardo Carvalho who again was about 193 so I mean the idea I think Jose Basingua played that game. of course he did Um, even Paolo Ferreira came out of retirement played on the wrong side, something like that. But that yet with a makeshift patched up back four, he went to Anfield and ground out a clean sheet, which stopped Liverpool from winning the title. Surely he can get some semblance of a back four together that can defend uh, a little bit better than they are at the moment.
3: Well, he's underachieving or he's changed his philosophy slightly. And I think it's probably a little bit of both. Um, he, he obviously is he, he's a, he's a manager that likes to keep it tight at the back, but I just feel the pressures on him at the moment. And I feel, you know, I was at, the, like I said, I was at the game, Everton, uh, beating 5 4 in the cup. And I just feel the pressure from the Tottenham fans, whether it's obviously not in the stadium, but the rhetoric and the social media. I just feel that Tottenham fans need more entertainment. And he's almost leaning against what his natural forces are, which are to be really defensive, part of the bus, as you say, and hit teams on the counter attack which worked you know 3 months ago we were saying Tottenham are the, you know doing brilliantly under him but he's not worked recently and i think he's he's just caught in between both at the moment and he's not doing either particularly well um and they just defensively i just i think to start with every top team and every any team that's going to do well in the league you need a great goalkeeper and for me Loris has lost his confidence and i was a world cup winner but he's struggling at the moment. He's letting goals in that he should not And I'm not saying that any of the goals that were scored against him by West Ham, he should have saved or he had a chance with. Possibly well, the first well, one. Well,
2: he should have come out for the first one, shouldn't he?
3: First one, yeah. But I mean, that, again, that's another thing that you always, as a pundit and as a professional, I associate that with Loris. He sticks to his line. Oh, he never comes out, yeah. And dominate his six-yard box, never mind his 18-yard box. So I think the, the goalkeeper's an issue there. And I was, I'm was, i surprised that Joe Hart's not been given more opportunities if he's training well. And then Dyer and Sanchez, for me, they've, they've got mistaken them. They, you know, they've got, they give chances away, and often the chances that they give away lead to goals. And unfortunately, that's what's happening with Tottenham at the moment. I think going forward, they've still got a lot to offer. And I was really impressed with Bale's introduction at halftime. I thought it yeah. was exceptional. I think he's such, he was making things happen. His movement, his, his end product was excellent. And, you know, I was looking at it thinking, well, why is he not playing every week? If he's bringing that to the table, and I couldn't really say the same about Delhi Ali, but yeah, I just thought West Ham were better all over the pitch in the first half, and and, and the first half, in the, the first two goals half, that they got in the lead, yeah, yeah they, they, that lead that they got. And then the spirit and the determination to given us from the West Ham side got them through the game in the end and got the yeah, three points. I
2: think Gareth Bell probably had a, a, the best impact he's had since he's he's been at Spurs. Um, and the reason That's he's not, not play- saying much. Yeah, I mean, it, the reason he's not playing is because he annoyed the manager by putting something on Instagram. And <laughs> Remember what happened to Paul Pogba when he did that. Um, Tottenham Hotspur have uh, lost uh, five of their last six league games. And, and I suppose if you're... You mentioned three or four months ago everyone thought Tottenham were doing great they were top of the league at the time now they're they're very much not I think they're ninth only picking up points in a 2-0 home victory over West Brom during that uh, run of five defeats in six league games look Jose Mourinho when you woke up on Sunday morning reports were suggesting if he loses against West Ham he's in trouble the problem is is it's going to cost them a hell of a lot of money to pay him off if they do decide to sack him but Crook is you're you're the sort of man with the finger on the ground of all the rumours and the gossip what is the situation? Because I I can't imagine Daniel Levy, who's not a notoriously patient guy, is particularly happy with what he's seen so far from the Jose experiment. I'd imagine
4: we might be in a, a similar situation where Manchester United were with, with David Moyes. If you remember, um, he was fired the, the the day after the game where they officially couldn't qualify for the Champions League. Obviously, Tottenham is still in the Europa League. That that would probably be their best route. Into the Champions League at the moment, they're not going to finish in only. The <laughs> they're not. They're not going to finish in the top four. So I'd imagine that, that Daniel Levy is hoping and praying that Jose Mourinho can deliver that trophy and therefore a place in the top four. They have to be in the Champions League next, and they spent so much money uh, on Jose Mourinho and, and getting rid of Pochettino. But there's no break clause in the contract, so you're dead right. If they do decide to part company with Jose Mourinho, it is going to cost them a pretty penny we know that Daniel Levy is quite frugal and doesn't like parting with cash that he doesn't have to but
2: they're just taken that alone as well so I mean I, I doubt they really want to spend any of it on Jose being paid off to go and sun himself in in, in the Algarve
4: no um so he, he needs to succeed but I mean you mentioned that record there that they're I think they were top of the table 12 games ago and in those resulting 12 games, they've now taken 11 points. I mean, that is some slide <laughs> down the division. That was the first time that David Moyes has ever beaten Jose Mourinho um, as a manager. So that's a, a notable victory for him. And I think we have to take them seriously, certainly in terms of, of European contention. And, and Trevor used the word spirit and, and character earlier. Nobody epitomized that more than Thomas Socek when he got oh. head in the face in the first The Terminator. First Blood pouring from his eye, but he got straight back up and <laughs> threw himself in the way of the follow-up shot, and and that's what you need if you're West Ham. And uh, unity has been in short supply at London Stadium in, in recent seasons because of the, the the scattergun approach to the transfer market. I think they've got a clear plan now under David Moyes. He knows what type of player he wants. He knows what type of character he wants in the dressing room. If they can keep their first eleven fit, and, and Antonio certainly is, the, is the, the most key to that. Mm. then I think that they're going to be competing for that top four right until the end of the season. But I do think they'll just fall short.
2: Arsenal 0-Manchester City 1. After three minutes, we thought it was going to be an absolute rout. Sterling could have had a hat-trick early on. Did it become too easy for Manchester City in that game, Trevor?
3: Um, I think, listen, I think obviously goals change games and I feel getting the goal and the chances that they created in the opening 10, 15 minutes of the game, I think it quite, it scared Arsenal and they were just a little bit apprehensive about attacking Manchester City after the way the game started. But in the end, I think Manchester City just controlled the game. Uh, the, the, the the game management was superb. They didn't
2: they, break sweat, did they? In the, I mean, It was, so, it, it was so,
3: so comfortable for Manchester City and... It was a bit, I was disappointed because I wanted Arsenal to have a go to make it a more entertaining game, but they almost didn't land a punch on Manchester City. And that's why it was so comfortable. I thought they managed the game superbly well. And you know what? You've got to say, Mikel Arteta, for a team that should be in and around the top four and historically has been over the last 20, 25 years. Mm. he's not really getting under a lot of pressure at the moment I'm quite surprised about that
2: what do you think about Arsenal Crook they've won three of their last 11 the idea of them turning the corner looks a little bit fanciful now doesn't it
4: I think they're dreadful to be honest Um, I I commentated their Europa League game against Benfica in midweek a Benfica team who conceded five goals in their group games to Rangers and you know Arsenal made very hard work of that and are not guaranteed to get through that I thought they were timid today. Um, I thought their body language suggested that they were happy to come away with a 1-0 defeat just to not get hammered. Did he, that's did not what you expect play- from Arsenal. Did, did
2: he rest players for Thursday night?
4: Well, possibly. And, and again, it, it probably makes sense because it comes back to what we're saying about Tottenham. If Arsenal, by some miracle, to qualify for the Champions League, it will only be via the Europa League. But they're not going to win that competition either. They're not good enough. Uh, too many of the senior players are still found wanting. We thought Aubameyang the had turned a corner with that hat-trick, he was poor in midweek, he wasn't great again today, didn't get much service. They've lost this season 11 games out of 25. They've got 13 matches to play. You could be looking at 16 defeats by the end mm. of the season for Arsenal. And after winning the FA Cup in such good style, beating Manchester City, beating Chelsea, tactical masterclasses, um, it was being held as by the manager. They were expected to challenge for the top four. They are miles away. Just, miles just, away.
2: Just to put it in context, Doesn't Arsene Wenger look a bit of a genius now?
4: He (laughs) He gets a better manager with every game, doesn't he? I mean, they they are tense.
2: They are awful. This is the worst Arsenal side I have seen in my lifetime. And I was alive during the Bruce Rioch year. So, mm, uh, yeah. uh, this, <laughs> this is an unbelievable turn of events. And it's all right saying, yeah, but they're, they're building something. I can't particularly see what that is. Uh, 34 points from 25 games. It's going to get worse because mm. they've got Tottenham to come very short. Look, the next five in the Premier League is this. Leicester away, Burnley away, Spurs at home, West Ham away, Liverpool away. They're already 10th and Tottenham, Aston Villa and Everton who are above them have all got games in hand.
3: Yeah. yeah. I mean, listen, I looked at it and there's probably three players that you feel um, uh, would probably be feeling I shouldn't be receiving that kind of criticism. And I would say that Saka because I think he's doing outstandingly yeah. well. He's got a lot of spirit. But he's 19. Yeah, exactly. Tierney, I think obviously he played uh, I thought he offered a lot for Arsenal down that left hand side, yeah. but he was the only one. And I thought Holding actually played okay as, but, as a central defender. But, but Tierney played well.
2: well, but he should have stopped the cross for the goal. I mean, and, not, and with all with yeah, all due no, respect, yeah, Raheem man. Sterling. If I was up against him, I'd probably win the header. <laughs>
3: Well, I mean, listen, that's criminal. You know, he's five foot seven and a half. Let's not forget the half that he mentioned on TV. Sam's five Um, foot six. Yeah. um, Yeah. Listen, if he's getting between your central defender and your right back, uh, Ballarin, who I don't even know what he's doing. You know, he's got one job as that ball comes in from the right hand side. He should be coming across and standing on the the left shoulder of Raheem. Anything that goes into that vicinity, he's towering over him. It was just poor defending. And, you know, even if you ask Arsenal fans at the moment, They'll say Bellerin, you know, they don't want him. He's not producing performances week in, week out, and probably his best days are behind him.
2: Oh, he has, though, just really, uh, released a clothing range with H&M. Is, is that a, a
4: tucked-in shirt stitched onto a pair of jeans or something? Is, it, is, that, is that the <laughs> so look? You've noticed Listen, that.
2: You've noticed that. He's the only player in the Premier League that tucks his shirt into his shorts and wears them high up like the 1980s. He, he
4: just needs the little tash, doesn't he? Do you know what the worst thing about all this is? It's the level of acceptance. You've just said they're holding play well. Tierney played well. Tierney should have done better for the cross. But nobody, nobody's going to attack him for that because it's expected that Arsenal are going to lose to Manchester City. It's expected they're going to roll over. Can you imagine when Tony Adams and, and Martin Keown and Steve Bould were there? Dico, you know, they, don't took a, they took it as a personal insult if you came into their penalty area, let alone scored a soft goal. There's no leaders in that Arsenal team.
3: But does that not come from the management? Does that not yeah. come from the technical area? Because I'm looking at Manchester City and I'm looking at Pep. And I'm looking at him animated and, you know, the enthusiasm and the intensity that he's oh, got Teton's when he's talking pretty to animated.
2: Players. He's always outside of his technical area, jumping around and, and doing the calinetics.
4: Yeah, he's an excuse maker. I mean, the game that Trevor and I did at Villa a few weeks ago, and he said we dominated the game. No, you didn't. You didn't lay a glove mm. on Aston Villa. If you're telling us that, and you're telling your players that, you're accepting a, a, a drop in standards. Mm.
2: Arsenal fans yeah. at Alex underscore Crook. <laughs> Let's move on. Click
6: ball in towards Alonso on the volley. Didn't quite catch that, Marcus Alonso. It was a good chance. Lovely ball forward from Redmond, and Minamino's in here with a great chance. And Takumi Minamino gives Southampton the lead. Very coolly
5: taken, Minamino. It's brilliant. He runs and runs and runs. It's a great ball to him.
6: But once he's one on one, he was so composed and clinical. It's Alonso who delivers it into the penalty area, and a flying header comes in from Zuma and is fended away by McCarthy. Werner running at the edge of the penalty area. Now inside the box. Timo Werner into the side netting. Quick corner. Hudson into Mount. Inside the penalty oh, area. Crossing. Here's a goal. Late challenge. Yeah. Penalty Chelsea. Sliding challenge came in on Mason Mount. It was Danny Ings back there trying to help out who conceded it. Mason Mount from the penalty spot. And sends McCarthy the wrong way and equalises for Chelsea. Redmond just outside the Chelsea penalty area, keeping the pressure on, crossing again. Oh, and it was ahead of oh. by James and then headed by Ben Narek in the bar and Ings had a snatch at it and knocked it well wide. Southampton have won their first point for 40-odd days. Final score, Southampton won. Chelsea won.
2: Southampton 1, Chelsea 1 was our game day commentary at 12.30. The headline, for me, really, uh, I mean, we're we're a day and a half on now. Hudson-Odoi being brought on at half-time in that game and then taken off. Um, He was brought on for Abraham. I I, I hope that Abraham was injured, because otherwise you've taken off a striker and put on a winger as a split striker, apparently, Uh, then off after 76 minutes I mean, if Mourinho had done that, I think it would have been a different level of headline. First of all, if you play him out of position, that is not going to end well. He's only twenty years of age, and he, he's not very consistent at the best of times. Um, but I mean, he's he's absolutely savaged him, hasn't he? Afterwards, in the in the in the in the interviews,
3: I've been there, Sam, and um, yeah, it's not a, it's not a great. Position to be in, um, but also you have to respect the manager because if the manager's worked with Usain about playing in that maybe false number nine position, if there's a problem and he has to go and do that job, he knows his role. He would have been told before he went on set pieces what his role is, where he's to stand in certain scenarios. If he's not doing the job, he's obviously he doesn't want to do it. And he thinks he's too much of a maverick that he has to follow them them instructions from the manager or he didn't take the information on either way he's not done his job and i'll, I'll back uh, the manager for that i don't think it's a bad thing sometimes it can it can listen it's it's difficult to take at the time as a as a young player but actually i think if you get through that you take a lot of i think you take a lot of experience from that and then maybe in in that position again when the manager actually do things you do it so yeah i wouldn't look too much into that it, 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 listen it, it's going to get headlines and things like that but for me The manager's asked him to do a job. He's not been able to do that. And he said, well, if he's not going to do it, I'm changing you. Simple as.
2: Are you enjoying watching Chelsea at the moment, Alex? I've got to
4: say, they bored me to death on on Saturday morning. Um, I think you have to praise Thomas Tuchel for the fact that he's made them a bit more efficient. But there's not much room for flair and and creativity and just playing off the cuff. I I described it to you when when we spoke on Saturday as as paint by numbers. It all seems a bit mechanical. um, And... I think that was the Southampton side. You didn't need to adopt that approach. Confidence is fragile. They were without two key players for me and Walker, Peters and Armstrong. If Chelsea had just played to their full ability and and the manager allowed them to express themselves, they would have won the game. Mm. So I think this is a problem. In terms of top four, if that's going to be the two good approach for the rest of the season, they are going to drop points in games where they really shouldn't because he won't let them off the leash.
2: Atletico Madrid have actually been conceding quite a few goals recently and they've sort of come off the bridle. They've been dominating the top of the the, the Liga table for a little while, but they had a bad result at the weekend and and they haven't been playing particularly well. Uh, But I think there'll be a sterner test for Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel than, than he has had to negotiate so far because up until this point it's been relatively simple. They've played teams, beaten teams and got results against teams that you would expect them to get results in. Apart from Saturday when you were expecting them to beat Southampton and they didn't, Trevor. So yeah, it's a, this is a big test, isn't it?
3: This is this is it, a sort of litmus test for him. Yeah, it's a big test and as you know, Atletico Madrid are a very physical side. Um, they put a lot of energy into games and you know they'll, they'll keep Chelsea honest uh, in possession. It won't be, oh yeah, you can have the ball and we'll just passively wait and see try and get into our final third and then we'll go and press. They are going to press the life out of Chelsea and it'll be I think it'll be a diff- different position for Chelsea and 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 the players to be able to adopt um his philosophy into that game. But I do feel one of the things that he has adopted into that side is a bit more physicality and you look at you know hudson coming and playing in the wing he's slightly different to a lot of the other players in them forward wide areas who are quite technical and tricky and make nice angles for the ball. He's brought us in Zion because he's, he's a he's an absolute athlete. You know he's got a uh, speed where he can just knock it by you without having any tricks. Drop a shoulder, knock it by you, and beat you for pace and strength. And 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 same with uh, Giroud, where I feel he's, he's played Giroud a lot and a few more of the experienced players. So I do feel he's brought physicality to the side. But again, you know, in that final third, I feel you have to really let the offensive players to be creative and I'm not sure Thomas Tuchel's allowing the forward players to have that ability. To.
2: Trevor has said a couple of times there in the final third in the final third well they were toothless in the final third they've scored mm. eight goals in the Premier League since Thomas Tuchel took over in nine games or eight games three of them have been penalties I mean they they aren't aesthetic they aren't great to watch they aren't creating entertaining football which was what he said when he first took over was his desire that's what he wanted to do crook
4: yeah but it can't happen overnight can it i mean he came in after a transfer window i mean he, he's not there. taking
2: over arsenal though is he i mean let's that's, that's <laughs> let's be honest he's, he's taking over a team that are already Ooh. playing okay
4: yeah but only okay so i, th- I think you need to be patient but i mean top of the a- league in december There's a short turnaround between games, so it's hard for him in terms of time on the training ground to get his philosophy across. But on what we've seen so far, I think he's too defensively minded. And as I say, Chelsea, because they're making up a bit of lost ground, they they can't afford to be chucking away cheap points. And I think that was two cheap points given away. But credit to Southampton, stop the rot, would have been a seventh successive defeat. Great goal they scored um, from Minamino, and he, he has made an impact Since coming in, I think they still need to get Danny Ings in goal-scoring positions on a more regular basis. But that will just um, silence some of Ralph Hasenhutl's critics for a few weeks.
2: I just wonder whether or not Minamino could have made a similar impact at at Liverpool, don't you? I mean, maybe he's not at that level, but you just wonder whether or not now, where they've got a bit of a problem scoring goals, whether him having a little extended run in the team, especially in some of the games where you want to rest one of the front three, he might have been able to make an impact. I don't know. seems a bit of an odd mm. decision, really, when you, uh, you've stopped scoring goals to loan a player uh, to Southampton who, who can make a difference. I don't know. Maybe he just needed it. Maybe they're just t- so nice at Liverpool. Uh, they just, you know, when a player needs to be moved on, they or want or wants more football, they just allow it to happen. They did it with Nathaniel Klein a couple of years ago. Uh, right. Um, let's talk about Manchester United against Newcastle. It finished 3-1. Covid outbreak in the United camp. It seemed only really to have affected the backroom staff more than the playing staff, really. Uh, Although they looked ill at ease for large portions of this game, Trevor.
3: Yeah, I mean, listen, it was a game that I expected Manchester United to win, um, which they did comfortably in the end. Uh, But they had a few issues. Obviously, St Maxim brings his problems to the opposition quite a lot with his speed and with his ability to be able to beat players. Um, But again, I just feel Newcastle... They're struggling for points. They're struggling for confidence. I think when they've not got Callum Wilson available as that number nine, it takes so much away from that team. And I always felt that Manchester United would come through this game and and win it comfortably. And they did do. And in the end, it was a decent performance. Helped along the way with the the customary penalty, which they ordinarily get. It was all right. They were okay. They
2: they weren't great. The main takeaway for me is that Newcastle are banging trouble. Um, they're going one way, Fulham are going the other way. Um, Fulham could be out of the relegation zone by the time we all meet next this time next week. Um, I don't mm. think Newcastle actually played that badly overall, but in patches is, is not enough. I, I don't know if this is Graham Jones is doing, but this high pressing is all well and good. I just don't know whether or not you can start demanding that from your group of players at this stage of the season. And expect them to go through 90 minutes successfully and do that and learn a new sort of style of play at this stage of the campaign. Maybe you can, I don't know.
4: I think there's a mentality issue when it comes to Newcastle. The owner clearly has lost interest and it's been quite public that he wants to sell. Steve Bruce basically came out before the game and said, don't worry about Fulham. You know, they've still got a lot of points to make up. And I think that was ill-conceived and, and you know, gave Fulham motivation to win their game. And and, and maybe permission for his players to ease off because we'll be all right. Don't panic. Um, and I think, again, there's an acceptance. There's an acceptance. The fans don't like Steve Bruce. He's going to take the flack. It's never on the players. doesn't matter if we lose, lads. And you get into a mentality, don't you, of um, just coming off the pitch, almost expecting to lose. And, and, and I think Newcastle are, are in that situation right now. And that's hard to arrest. And Fulham are breathing down their necks. And I've said before, it's a free hit for Fulham because we all thought they were down all the pressure should be on Newcastle. But with those comments from Steve Bruce, it's almost like they're in a bubble and they don't believe they're in trouble. And I think that's a dangerous mentality.
2: I texted you yesterday saying, what on earth has Steve Bruce done here? Um, and you said to me, well, what's he done now? And they were sent you the, the comments and you were like, why has he done that for? I, just, I don't
4: get it. I don't get it.
2: It's just crazy, isn't it, really? And you just think like, you know, tonight I thought, well, they've done quite well to get themselves back into the game, you know, but I I didn't have any confidence that they are ever going to see it through. Mm -hmm. I've just got every anticipation that they are going to be relegated. I've I've felt it
3: right from the beginning of the season. Yeah, but is this, I mean, I'm probably guilty of this as well. You know, Bruce, Steve Bruce comes across well in the interviews. His squad is what it is. And it's one of them where I think the fans have been trying to educate the media a little bit from when they were 15, 10, 15 points away from the relegation zone saying, they can't see us you know, getting a lot more points. And that's the way it's ended up turning out. And it, it seems like now the fans, the loyal fans who seem to know what was going on at the football club, I've got it right. And Fulham have done really well. We'll I mean, we, we we'll talk, we, about, we'll talk about Fulham though.
2: in just a second, but we, we did a podcast at the beginning of the season and I suggested that I thought the Newcastle would go down. And, and Crook, mm. you, the first thing you said was Callum Wilson, Ryan Fraser, goals, they'll be okay. And, and, and ordinarily, I probably would have gone with that prediction as well. But my prediction was based on the data from last year, right? The expected goals data from last year, in which they were so bad, it it belied reality that they were nowhere near the relegation zone. It was pure and utter luck that they were not relegated last Mm. season. And that has just continued into this season. And if they get away with it this year, it will be a miracle, Okay, we'll talk about uh, Fulham against Sheffield United in just a second. We'll also look ahead to Brighton Crystal Palace and lead Southampton as well. But first of all, let's find out what's trending. <laughs> here is uh, Crookie's famous music which means he's got some interesting stuff that we may have missed this weekend
4: absolutely and uh, it's almost a tribute to uh, Trevor Sinker actually because we're talking about veterans and uh, you know Trevor now is at the veteran stage of uh, (laughs) his career Um, we'll start with uh Well, the the ageless Zlatan Ibrahimović played in the Milan derby on Sunday. Didn't go particularly well. Uh, AC Milan lost 3-0 to a Romelu Lukaku-inspired Inter Milan. But he's 39 now. Uh, Going into the weekend, he was top scorer in Serie A. And he's put that down to taekwondo. He's taken up the sport to help stay in shape. So uh, do do we fancy a bit of that? Could we have a a game day podcast? He's been doing that for quite a
2: while, I think. And you know who else does that? I think uh, Robert Lewandowski does that as well. I think he's, he's... Because isn't his missus a a martial artist Olympian? She's an Olympic champion in in martial
3: arts or something. He won't be having an extra pint at the pub then.
2: No, we will not. (laughs) (laughs)
5: What's
4: this mythical thing called a pub that you talk about? Um, Another veteran, uh, not quite as prolific, it has to be said, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Shane Long scored for Bournemouth in their defeat against Queen's Park range. He couldn't miss really and actually did go on and miss a sitter. That was his first goal, Trevor, in 300 and 63 days wow he's a center forward are you including
2: lockdown in that though
3: well it doesn't matter does it it's (laughs) his first goal since february last year and i quite like shane long i think he's got a lot to offer you know especially for teams that play on the break um but that's a that's a long time to go without a goal but i I hope you're not gonna i hope i'm not stitching myself up here now because i've gone longer than that i wasn't (laughs) a center forward by the way so how long did you go (laughs) I have not got a clue. He was thinking you were going to pull the
2: statistic out of the bag
3: 500 and
2: 71
3: days.
4: (laughs) Mm. And finally, Ryan Shawcross um, bowed out from Stoke City this weekend. He's off to play in the MLS. 14 years he was at Stoke. You don't see that kind of longevity anymore. And he was so taken by the tributes in the the match program and on the website and from supporters that he actually said, When I saw all the tributes, I thought I'd died.
3: Oh, what a servant, though, for the football club. Probably not the most popular because he's been involved in a couple of controversial things at Stoke and and when Stoke was a really difficult place to go to. But, yeah, great servant to the football club and uh, enjoy the sunshine, that's all I'd say. Aston Villa 1, Leicester 2,
2: Sunday's game. Leicester win away again. How significant was that on a weekend uh, when Chelsea, Spurs, Arsenal and Liverpool... All drop points, Trevor?
3: Yeah, it's huge for the football club. I think, um, for me, they've been consistent. Um, you know, I know it's been a difficult season and, and teams have missed players, but I just feel when Vardy was out, they they dealt with it better than other clubs have missed their best players. Mm. Um, I think Madison again, his numbers are stacking up now. I think it's 17 goal involvements. Harvey Barnes, again, 15 goal involvements. They're they've, the two players that have developed. And... You talk about James Madison, and I am saying develop because his goal involvement wasn't enough. He'd have key moments in games, but for me, the numbers that are starting to stack up. And do and you know why? Do you know why they've gone north? Do you know what the story is behind them going it, north? Well, well, I don't know the story, but I know why, because he's affecting the game in the final third much more than he was. I, I was watching him early on in the season. I was thinking, he's done something good there. But then he's, he's like, oh, that, that was a good pass. And staying where he was, yeah. now he's cracking on joining in and affecting the second phase of play. It's
2: because so- Jamie Jamie Carragher gave him a bit over his numbers. Said basically his numbers weren't yeah. good enough. And he took that to heart, but in a positive way and used Brilliant. it as motivation. And in a similar way that Jack Grealish done the same thing, Gareth Southgate was being, you know, not, everyone was saying, mm. oh, you've got to pick Jack Grealish, you've got to pick Jack Grealish. He said, well, his numbers are nowhere near some of the other players that we've got in the squad. So Jack Grealish, who obviously had the ability to do it a bit like Madison has, yeah. had knew that they had to be held to a higher standard and improved as a result of that. And I just wondered, actually, Crook. talking of Jack Grealish, how much did Aston Villa miss him? Because, you know, they've gone through a tricky period, actually, Aston Villa, after a very consistent first half of the campaign up until, until, until Boxing Day. Since then, in all competitions, they've lost six games.
4: Squad depth again, isn't it? And um, I don't know about you, but as soon as I saw that Jack Grealish was out, I had a decent bet on Leicester. Um, I, yeah, I fancied them to win the game. Matt Cash as well was a loss because it upset that familiar back four that, yeah. that served them so well this season. And when you when you take two such key players out of that Aston Villa team, they're going to struggle. And I don't think Jack Grealish is, is going to be back in a hurry, is he? He's about a month out with, with shin splints, mm. um, I'm led to believe. So Maybe he should get some bigger shin pads. I did well, think, I think that. He's,
3: I think his, sh- his shins are struggling because they have to carry the weight and Those balance calves. the weight of his calves.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but it's a it's a massive loss for Aston Villa. And I've mentioned before on this podcast they've used fewer players or made fewer changes to their starting eleven than any other team over the course of the season. So as soon as you start losing key personnel, that tells you the squad isn't strong enough. And mm. I think they'll fall away now. But it should it, that shouldn't take away from what a good season it's been. But I don't see them now as European contenders.
2: Okay, so here's a, a, my final question on on this game. Who is the who is your team that you want to watch the most at the moment? Who, who if you could buy a ticket to go and watch any team at this moment in time, who would it be? Because for me, it's Leicester City.
3: Yeah, I, I think, think I could I, I could agree with that because I'm not saying that Manchester City are boring. I just think they're the opposition. You know the result. Not, test, not testing them enough. So yeah. in, in, in so general, they just dominate games. But whereas with Leicester, you know, you look at the game against Liverpool, you look at the game today against Villa, they've got a bit and they're having to work and they're having to be creative and they're having to come back from losing positions. And you know, when you've got Vardy in your team and you, you suck it up and you play on the counter-attack, it's so exciting to watch. And yeah, I'd agree with that. I think Leicester, Leicester City are one of the most entertaining teams to watch.
2: Okay, Uh, Fulham against uh, Sheffield United ended in a 1-0 win for Fulham. Massive result for them. Scott Parker was buzzing, didn't get to bed till late. He was up bright and early on Sunday morning plotting (laughs) for the next game. Can they stay up, Crook? You have to say yes. I think
4: it's still difficult because the start they made, um, that they're effectively playing catch-up and that doesn't leave a lot of margin for error. But I think the key is if they can reel Newcastle in and if they can go above Newcastle in the table then I don't see Newcastle having the character... Because of the because mentality that that issue, trouble. yeah. Yes. Um, but just one more point on, on Fulham. And I mentioned they've improved over the course of the season. If you look at it, they had a very short summer, didn't they? Because they came up via the playoffs. Yes. It's always difficult for any yeah. team coming into the Premier League via that route because you get less time to recover. You get less time to make your signings. And it was even worse, really. Even more difficult because of the of the truncated season that we're we're having. So... Inevitably, they took a while to hit their stride. He tried to keep faith with the players that brought them up; that didn't work. I said before, he's learning on the job, and I think now we're seeing a a decent Fulham side. And if the season started at the turn of the year, then you wouldn't probably be even talking about them as, as relegation candidates.
2: Scott Parker, what does the future hold for him, Trevor?
3: Well, I think it holds uh, uh, an exciting managerial career, personally. Um, I just look at his post-match interviews. I look at the, the work the team are doing. Um, I look how they've improved over the season, like Crookie said. I look, at sense. His re- I look at his recruitment. Yeah, he looks decent. But you look at play. For me, I look at players like Harrison Reed, and at the start of the season, look miles off it. And maybe that's got a little bit to do with something what Crookie was saying, where they won the playoff final and they were literally straight back into it. It's quite hard coming off the the back of a high and then going again so soon so I think that did affect the players but him in particular I think he epitomises what, um, what what Fulham are all about they're technically very good they look after the ball but at times have been a bit toothless in the final third and I think we have changed that by just bringing in one man and that's Luckman I think he's been unbelievable the journey he's had you know coming from down south going to Everton not quite working out going to Germany mm. making it making becoming a man coming back and having something to prove and I, I, I love what I, I if I'm talking to forward players, I tell them to watch him. Cause he's still quite young. What is he, twenty-three, twenty-four? Yes, yeah, he's, he's still quite short. Sure. He's you know, you look at me think but he's got so much character. You'd think he was six foot five when he's running around on the pitch. He looks like he owns it and he owns the situations he's in. And I love watching him. And I think he's got a huge future. And I think he's been a big part of what's happening the positive stuff, what's happening with Fulham. And going back to Scott Parker, you know, he talks about the pride he's got with his players, the way they set up. It looks like he knows what he's doing. He's got a good team. Quite, quite a close knit team around him. I really do think he's got a big future in management.
2: Uh, Burnley nil, West Bromwich Albion nil. Let's look ahead to Monday's games. <laughs>
6: <laughs> Mason Mount from the penalty spot and sends McCarthy the wrong way and equalises for Chelsea. McCarthy went right. The ball went to his left. Under most circumstances, this would have been a good point
5: for West Brom, but they'll find it hard to digest that on the bus home down the M6. Full-time, Burnley nil, West Brom nil.
2: He steps up, right-footed, slots it in, and this might just be the moment that Everton end their Merseyside derby misery. Gilfie Sigurdsson scores to make it Liverpool 0, Everton two.
5: Yeah, Liverpool had a lot of possession but lacked ideas in trying to break Everton down and when they did then, you know, there was Keane, there was Godfrey and obviously Pickford who had an excellent game as well. Adam from the angle has scored for Fulham. Adam Ola-Lupman drives the ball underneath the goalkeeper. Scores Fulham's most important goal of the Premier League season so far. Lingard wins it back for West Ham, looks to burst into the penalty area, supported by 4 Lingard continues and that's a brilliant goal from Jesse Lingard and West Ham double their lead. Straight after half-time. Number one, Leicester City two at the full-time whistle here. Unbeaten in eight Premier League away games now, Leicester City. Nine away wins for the season so far, and they go second as well.
0: A win is a win, and it's City's 18th in a row now. They're 25 games unbeaten, and the Champions-elect stay 10 points clear of second-place Leicester. It's finished here at the Emirates. Arsenal nil, Manchester City one.
1: Full-time, it is Manchester United three, Newcastle United one. So Manchester United move to second place in the Premier League Newcastle now just three points above Fulham. They've got one eye on that drop zone now.
2: I joked in the intro that uh, the midweek games that involve teams with nothing to play for. That's not strictly true, is it? Because Brighton against Crystal Palace, and Brighton aren't safe by any means, are they? And I just wonder. I just wonder what you think about Crystal Palace being dragged in to a relegation battle. They're woefully out of form. They've won just three of 14 in all competitions. Could this team that lost seven in a row after lockdown at the end of last season be dragged in? Or will they win the two games that they probably need to win in order to stay in the Premier League? What do we reckon? I
3: think they've got too much um, going forward. I think that, that front three, four, when they're really on it, can create chances and score chances um so I would say just with the cushion that they've got what are they seven um, points seven points yeah I think they've probably just got enough um going forward I think obviously Zaha is massive for them but I think Eze uh, brings a lot I think when they've got a more fit they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna yeah. win games and so for me I think they will just about and, and actually when they are at it defensively and as a unit they're quite difficult to score against so I just just feel Roy will have enough to get Crystal Palace and to keep up. Of course,
2: someone might be listening to this on Tuesday morning going, what the hell are you lot talking about? They're rash <laughs> Brighton on Monday night, which is what we are talking about. So if you, it, listen, if you're listening on Tuesday morning, you've gone too far into the podcast because this now section is completely <laughs> out of date for you. Um, but um, Brighton, Brighton are got 26 points, so they're a little bit closer to Fulham. In fact, they're quite a lot closer to Fulham. It's only four points now, Crook.
5: It's
4: yeah, but they're Potter in a good vein of they're in a good vein of form. I was more worried a month ago. Um, they're on a club record unbeaten run in, in the Premier League. Two? They've three. Three? What is it? Six. Oh. Um, they've stopped conceding goals. They still aren't really scoring uh, with great regularity. I noticed you took that shots. quite personally.
2: I was just joking, by the way. You took that quite personally. It's like, oh, how dare he have a go at my South Coast team. <laughs>
4: <laughs> they had 26 shots on goal against Villa and, and didn't score. So that is clearly a, a problem and something they need to work on. I think they'll have too much for Crystal Palace. And, and I think, um, like Trevor has said, I think they have too much to go down as well. I, I just think they that they play too well in too many games to be relegated. It'd be a travesty if, if Brighton went down the way that they've played this season. But just on uh, Roy Hodgson's watch, and we've talked about this, and I do wonder if, if Palace's poor run continues, if the board might act sooner than the summer when his contract is up. I know that Eddie Howe was sounded out by Bristol City this week, who have just appointed Nigel Pearson, or or will have done by the time this podcast goes out, probably. And his advisors made it clear that he was saving himself for a Premier League
2: job. Mm. I wonder which one that could be. I mean, we've only been talking about it for about three months on this podcast. Um, Stay tuned, folks. Um, Okay, Um, Palace have only won one of the last five M23 derbies. Um, so it uh, will be interesting to see how they get on on Monday night, 8 o'clock. On Tuesday night at 6 o'clock, it's Leeds versus Southampton. We should mention that Wolves did play on Friday night. They beat uh, Leeds by a goal to nil, um, and, they, and they did that with what was an amazing moment, actually, um, from Adama Traore, where he wriggled th- through, cracked a shot against the bar, it came back down, whacked Meslier on the on the back and then went in, which all, mm. always looks bad for goalkeepers when that happens. I mean, there's nothing that the poor guy can do about no. that. right? But no. he get, one, he gets an own goal. But what infuriated me, more than anything else, uh, being a regular player of the fantasy uh, Premier League game, is that Traore
3: didn't get an assist for it.
6: <laughs> How
3: on earth is that? Allowed just just the strike alone deserved an assist. I mean that was thunderous. But I mean again, he's shown his quality. I think they've improved since they brought in a striker as well, Wolves, because they did look too with the young boy Silver up front, weren't scoring chances. Obviously, massively missed um, Raul up front as we as we've always said for for, for a while. Um, but I think they've improved since they brought this striker in um, they, they, they're a good football team they've got good players in midfield I think the manager's superb and yeah I think Wolves will be fine but yeah it was a, it's a bit bizarre how they, you don't get an assist for that off the oh, it's
2: crazy and,
4: that's quite telling for Triore as well because I've got some stats for you okay,
2: oh, okay.
4: no goals in his last 43 Premier League games
2: since wow. he scored against Manchester City
4: no assists in his last 31 Premier League games
2: so talking he, he, Jamie Carrigan needs to uh, have a go at him so that he starts to respond to uh, mm. uh, by posting bigger mean, numbers that is, big, that that is numbers. terrible isn't it and it was,
4: it yeah, was leveled at him early in his career that his end product was poor he seemed to improve that when he went to Wolves but obviously that's fallen away so that that, that assist being taken off him uh, is a problem for Adama Troy, right I thought they were a bit lucky Wolves um, Leeds created chances one or two excellent saves from Rue Patricio and um I'm not worried about Leeds. I think well, they'll probably beat Southampton. Be they've
2: honest. got enough points already to stay up, haven't they? I mean, they will yeah, probably teams.
4: beat They'll probably beat Southampton. Southampton, despite the, the point against Chelsea, not in a great vein of form, still missing key players. And I think the energy that Leeds play with might just prove too much. for. for and I think,
3: I think off the back of that as well, just how you've reminded us, the conversation we had about the most entertaining teams, Leeds have got to come into the conversation. yeah. yeah.
2: So if we had it, so if we had tickets, we'd be going to see Leeds and Leicester at this moment in time. Right? I would put United oh, yeah,
4: up there as well. They're more entertaining now
2: than they have been in the past. You didn't watch the <laughs> game tonight, did you? Well, I watched Harry Maguire <laughs> give the opposition
3: a goal. To be know, fair, so that, <laughs> yeah,
2: that was entertaining. I mean, why didn't he just head it out for a corner?
4: Goodness only knows. Goodness, Do you know what, though? When I sit on Darren Bent's boot room, I know we're going back to United. And De Gea United.
2: should have saved it.
4: Yeah, but I do wonder now, maybe... Ollie should be putting an arm around Harry Maguire and saying, Look, should we give the captaincy to Bruno? Because I think it's weighing him down. <laughs> Shall we? Wow. Should
2: we? Should we just give it to the guy who's really the captain? Should we do that? I mean...
4: But do you know what I mean? For some people, the, the, the burden of wearing the armband can affect their performances. And Harry Maguire has got worse since he was made captain.
3: I think it's worth mentioning the consistency and the level of performance coming from Luke Shaw pretty much all season. Yeah, I think he's been outstanding, and again t- t- tonight he was great.
2: Well, you um, say that, but he was given the man of the match award by Jermaine Genius, and Paul Skulls came into vision about ten minutes later, and it was brought up that <laughs> but Luke Shaw had uh, had been given the man of the match award, and Paul Skull's look of disdain was just <laughs> unbelievable. To which he, he said, "Well, yeah, he did okay on that left hand side." <laughs> <laughs> and he goes it's a bit and, and, and to be fair he's picked a defender for man of the match and he didn't really have much defending to do but apart from that yeah great <laughs> I,
4: I think in all seriousness if you, if you take Bruno out of the equation Luke Shaw is probably United's player of the season mm. yeah um, and that's that's great credit to him because it's not been easy for him that move to Manchester United 100%. with with his lifestyle that he struggled with to start with and the criticism from Mourinho in public and then the
2: bad injury that he got So, but well, he didn't he had... struggle with his lifestyle I think he rather enjoyed his lifestyle I think his body <laughs> struggled with his lifestyle um, look uh, Manchester United 14 pe- uh, points better off than last season so uh, you, you should be happy with that but I'm pleased that whenever we start talking about something different you two always seem to bring it round to either Manchester United or Manchester City look thank you very much uh, for taking part tonight we appreciate it that's it from us thanks to Trevor Sinclair and Alex Crook Uh, we're back with Darren Lewis from the Mirror on Thursday looking ahead to another mammoth weekend of Premier League action and a huge game day. day